For here my heart is set here.
to see your beauty to find you in the place your glory dwells your glory dwells Praise the Lord. We're glad to be in the house of God this morning. Thank you so much for those that have joined us in-house and those that have joined us on live feed. Thank you for being 
here with us today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to touch and minister in our Sunday school uh, class this morning. I want to continue to be praying for those that are sick. We still do have some that are sick connected to the church. I want to continue to hold them up to God in prayer. If you've got a prayer request in your own live stream, you can text the keyword prayer to 205-642-8744, and we want to partner with you in prayer. Those in-house, if you've got a prayer request, let me know by lifting your hand. God knows every need. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. Again, thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity that you've allowed us to come to worship and praise you. Father, this morning I pray that you'll move and minister in a mighty way in our Sunday school class and our services this morning. I pray, Father, that you'll touch and minister every one of the teachers this morning as they bring forth your word to each student. Open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to comprehend your word today. We forever give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been uh, looking at and studying into the Word of God, and the unit theme that we've been looking through, the unit theme that we've been looking through is the Gospel by Matthew, the Gospel by Matthew, Jesus being the teacher. And over the last, this is our seventh lesson in this, and over the last several weeks, all we've been looking at is out of the book of Matthew. We've been looking and digging into and looking and We've been seeing how the disciples reacted, how the disciples handled uh, their life as a, uh, an apostle with Christ. Think about this. You have born, you've been raised, you're doing work. You're, I mean, some of these are fishermen, uh, physician, all these things. They've been doing what they have been trained to do. Uh, they've been doing what they've been taught to do. They've been leaving, leading their lives and those things. And then all of a sudden, this guy walks up to them and says, follow me, follow me, and, and they automatically, they run and they start following after Christ. And so that's some of the things that we've been looking at here in uh, the book of Matthew. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the title of our lesson is called Community in the Kingdom, Community in the Kingdom. Church fellowship is kingdom fellowship. We need to realize that we need fellowship one with another. And there is nothing wrong, there is nothing wrong with fellowship, amen? There's nothing wrong with fellowship with uh, other churches. Uh, other churches are not our, are not our enemies. Uh, we're all going to the same heaven. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to heaven together. Uh, there's not going to be a church of Christ, uh, church of God section, Baptist section, Methodist section. If they are saved, we know that they're going to the kingdom of, kingdom of God. I will say this, because some people have asked this question, they've talked about this, look, there's, there's Church of God folks that's not saved. There may be people on our pews this Sunday morning service that's not saved. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. And so that's, that's the whole thing that we really need to get a hold of in our minds and our thought process in this. So with this, we're also going to look at learn and live by principles of community in the kingdom of God. Learn to live by the principles of the king of the in my tongue ain't awake this morning yet. Learn and live by the principles of community in the kingdom of God. We are in a community together. We're we're in a community together. Turn the uh, down just a touch. I don't know what happened. 
We're in a community together. We come together as children of God to do what? To lift up each other. Just turn the gain down. There you go. We're here to worship together. We're here to, when something happens, if we have a death connected to the church, we cry together. We have a marriage in the church. We worship. We celebrate together. We come together to worship. We're in the community together. Uh, our evangelism emphasis are, is simply this. Sinners are invited to enter the kingdom and the church by saving faith in Jesus Christ. As a sinner, they're invited to enter the kingdom of God. They're invited to enter the church through the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Take a look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. It says this. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. This is, and then uh, starting in, I believe it's going to be next Sunday, we're going to be starting to talk about uh, church, church family. Uh, There's going to be a discussion, church discipline, uh, church fellowship, These things about how the church is to operate together in the kingdom of God. We've got to realize as a church community, church membership is is important. Church discipline is important. These things are important. But I I want you to focus on this verse for just a moment as we're fixing to enter into the Sunday school lesson. Many times what people will do is if somebody does something wrong, if if brother, if if Brother Larry feels like that I've done him wrong, if Brother Larry feels like that I have wronged him in some way, many times what will happen, especially in the church world, what they'll do is they just won't even talk to him anymore. But if it's the pastor or church, anybody in church leadership, they'll just say, well, I'm packing my bags, I'm going to another church down the road. I want you to understand, that is not biblical. That is not the biblical way to do things. If I have done something As the pastor of this church, if I've done something wrong to Brother Larry, it is Brother Larry's responsibility and biblical obligation to come to me, sit down, and let's have a conversation. It is not the responsibility to go and post it all over social media. Brother Larry, don't put that on your Facebook page, okay? (laughs) He says, I don't have one. But... It's not, the, it's not the obligation, if I have wronged, I have not wronged Brother Larry that I'm aware of. No, I have not wronged Brother Larry. But if I did do something that Brother Larry feels that I have wronged him in some way, chances are it's a miscommunication, first of all, okay? There's a chance there that it's miscommunication, that, it, that the person really did not wrong you, it's just you felt that way. And that's not saying anything wrong about that. It's just, that's just life, hello? And so what the obligation out of the Word of God is, is that Brother Larry is supposed to come to me, and we are supposed to sit down and have a conversation. I am to be open-minded and listen to that. And then we are to discuss that, and we pray about this thing and end the conversation, and it's over with. Does that make sense? That is the biblical standing and way that it is supposed to happen. Now, people don't do that, but that's what's supposed to take place. And then in our church setting, 
because I am the pastor, if Brother Larry comes to me and it does not, we do not get re a resolution, what's supposed to take place is Brother Larry is supposed to go to two and three more brethren or somebody in the church and they all come and have a conversation. That's why I have a pastor's council in the church. That's why I have a leadership team. That's why I have these guys around me that if somebody in the church feels that the pastor has wronged them, they go to one of them and they bring them to all of us together. But that's to begin with, go tell between you and him alone. It's supposed to just be me and that one other person. Does all that make sense? That is the biblical way of doing this. That's the right way of handling the situation. We receive all kinds of advice when facing life-changing circumstances. Life happens. Everybody knows that, right? Life happens. I can't tell you how many times somebody's come to me and they'll, they'll ask me advice. They'll ask me what my thought process is for whatever they're facing. I'm 44 years old. I've not faced everything. But I do know I can listen and I can, I can give some kind of advice biblical or based off of something that I've experienced, but I may not have experienced everything. And when somebody comes to me and they ask for advice for something I have no, I have no idea about, I listen and I'll say, I have no idea. Let's pray about that. It's one of the big things about giving advice is if you don't know what's going on, you don't have, you've never faced that before, you don't know what's happening, best thing to do is just listen and then have a time of prayer. It seems everyone has an opinion and needs and has a need to feel, or feels that need to share their wisdom and experiences. When we listen carefully about somebody that's going through something that we're facing the same thing, the loss of a child, the death of a parent, those things have happened in other people's life. When you get to those severe things of that nature, the best thing to do is strictly listen because you're going to face death different than I'm going to face death. Does that make sense? We face things differently. If you're facing something like a life-changing thing, like changing a job, that's one thing. But the death of somebody, that's something totally different. And what we've got to realize, there's times when listening to those things about life-changing circumstances, it's time to listen and have, a, have prayer with that person. The teachings and examples of Jesus reveals that Jesus had deep concern for people. It's very irritating to me when people dismiss other people. We must understand Jesus' example was is that Jesus had a deep concern for what people were going through. If you're facing something, if you're going through a situation, you're going through a trial, our obligation as a Christian is to have that deep concern for what somebody else is going through. Jesus came to die for our sins, but we've also got to realize that Jesus faced and experienced a lot of the same things we face. He experienced temptation. He experienced trial. He experienced persecution. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw people hurting. And when we've got to understand is when people hurt in the body, we must realize everybody's hurting. You're not facing that alone. Now, I, look, I, I realize there's a lot of people connected to our church 
whether they're in-house or on our live stream, mo a lot of our church folks, they're private people. They don't want everybody to know everything that's going on. And I realize that. I understand that. And I have had people, believe it or not, get mad at me, literally get mad at me when I don't share something that's going on in somebody's life because I know that they want that private. They call me and they talk up to me about it or they tell me about it at church. And I know that it's something they don't want everybody knowing. And then I'll have others that'll say, well, why didn't you tell us this was going on? Everybody ha faces things differently. But what we've got to realize, whether you want to be in private or you want everybody to know everything, we as a church body face things together. Why? We need to, today what we're going to do is examine the teachings of Jesus concerning life in a community of believers. The community of believers is called the church. The church is a living body of believers. It is composed of every blood-washed believer of every age. The Old Testament refers to the saints, those who look for the redemption of the promise of God, even if they did not know the specific plan or happenings. That's what the Old Testament refers to the saints as. The New Testament saints are those who look back at the cross and they emphasize and embrace the redemption provided by Jesus. Today, we know our Redeemer lives. We know that Jesus came. He died on a cross for our sins. He was buried and rose the third day. He, we know those things happen. And what we've got to realize is we've come together this, on this Sunday morning. Whether we're here, there's some that's joined us on live feed that can't be here due to sickness and due to work, due to being out of town, whatever the case may be. We are a body of believers. We're a community of believers together. There's greatness in the kingdom. First section is greatness in the kingdom. We're going to take a look at some different aspects of the kingdom of God. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start off in verses 1 through 14. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Let's go ahead and start reading uh, verses 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1, reading verses 1 through 5. At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him, the child, in the midst of those that was there, in the midst of them. And he said, Truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such as a child in my name receives me. In a brief period of time, the disciples heard Jesus' affirmation that he was the Messiah who would die would be buried, and would be raised from the dead. They witnessed and heard the about the transfiguration, Jesus' power over demonic possessions, and his ability to fund ministry from fish in the sea. They knew, those are, those are in chapter 16 and chapter 17, they knew the coming of the kingdom was near. It was only natural for them to wonder about the kingdom of heaven, but most naturally a concern was where that place would be in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 1 tells us 
who the disciples asked him, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven? There's no strong rebuke. However, Jesus, he, he tells them, and it was a suggestion of an inquiry, that, that you do not need to have great ambition in who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We're all on the same field. We're all on the same playing field. In the course of the teaching about the children, this has a twofold meaning. Verse 5 tells us, Whoever receives one such as a child in my name receives me. But we also need to look at verse 3 where it tells us that unless we become as a little child, unless we become as a child, we're not going to be able to be received into the kingdom of God. Verse 3 tells us, Truly I say unto you, Unless you become a child, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this teaching about a child has a twofold application for our lives. First of all, it speaks about the value of actual children to God and His kingdom, as well as our need to consider their place and their prominence in the kingdom of God. Why do you think that a child, why do you think that it's, that's a very relevant thing. Your children take things on value, on face value. If your child tells you that, or if you tell your child something, they automatically think that that's the truth. Nobody can do anything greater than mom and dad in most children's lives. No, nobody can do anything greater in, in grand, than their grandparents in most children's lives. They have, when they're that small and they have a, a childlike faith, they just believe that it's going to happen. You could, we told our daughter one time, we told her, uh, or let me, we didn't do it, her uncle did. Uh, we, we told her all the time, don't believe, don't believe anything your uncle tells you. What'd she do? Her uncle would tell her something, and she automatically believed it. We kept telling her, he's playing a trick with you. But her uncle could tell her there was a purple unicorn sitting in the front yard. She's running out the front door to see the purple unicorn. Why? Because she believed everything her uncle told her. She believed anything that would come out of his mouth. I hope he's watching service this morning. He would believe everything that would come out of his mouth. He would also, y'all, he also would just ask, he told her some cockamamie story and he got her to lick the bottom of his foot. And that was supposed to help something. That was supposed to make something better or something to that. And she would lick the bottom of his foot. Anything that her uncle told her, she automatically believed it. Well, that's what we've got to understand. I don't want nobody licking the bottom of my foot. I don't want you even touching my foot. I don't want you even looking at my foot. I can't stand somebody touching my foot, so just leave my foot alone. That's not the point of the story. The point of this whole thing is, is that childlike faith. We must understand that the disciples were little ones. They were children of God, just like you and I. God's not looking for childish behavior from us. We got to grow up. We got to be. We got to be adults, spiritually speaking. We've got to grow spiritually. But God is also looking for that childlike attitude or that childlike faith in Him. If God says something, we should automatically believe it. God says you can be healed. Many times people will be like, I've told this one here before, we went on a mission trip. 
I was in Venezuela. This happened about 20 years ago. Right before me and Sister Carrie got married. And so uh, we've been married, uh, May will be 21 years. Wow, she put up with me that long. But this happened before we got married. Go to Venezuela. And, and one of the people that was on our, actually it was our leader on our mission trip, the one that was leading our mission trip, she came down with a stomach bug. And she wanted us all to be praying for her. Uh, and so she was really bad sick that night. And so she wasn't even going to be able to go to service. We was going to have to do the service without her that night. And so, and she's, she knows all these contacts. She knows all these people. We don't know any of these folks. And so we're just like, oh, looks going to be great, you know. And so she wanted us to pray. So we all gather around her and we're praying for her. Well, I, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're praying, what are you supposed to do? Your eyes are closed. We're praying, and I happened to open my eyes while we was praying. I know, shame on me. We happened to open my eyes while we was praying. You know what she was doing? She was getting, an, she was getting medication out of her purse to take this medication. And I asked her after we prayed, I said, don't you think you want to give a little bit of moment of time to see if God's going to heal you before you start taking all that medicine? She said, oh, I believe God's going to heal me, but I'm just going to help him out. Look, I get it. She's having major stomach issues. You can use your imagination, and that's probably how bad it was. But here's the point to the whole thing. How many times if we had a headache and said, okay, God, I need you to heal me, and we pop out Advil, Tylenol, Abiprofens? Why don't we have the faith that God's going to take care of that? Why don't we have the faith that God's going to take care of those things? I, look, I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody not to take medication. I'm on cholesterol medicine. I'm on medication. I'm not telling you not to, but I also want you to understand we need to have, you know, that cholesterol part is probably a little, maybe a little bit my fault, maybe a little bit the fact that we live in the South, everything's fried, you know. I mean, that's probably a lot to do with my cholesterol. But the point that we're making is this, not telling somebody not to take medication, but the fact is, is why don't we ask God to heal us? Why don't we ask God to take care of us? When we, came, when we moved here a little over eight years ago, uh, go to see the doctor, um, had to go see the doctor, sinus infection, something, and my blood pressure was up. So what they do, they, they start keeping a check on it. They put me on a trial dosage of some blood pressure medicines, and then eventually I got put on blood pressure medicines. And I'm thinking, I don't want this. So I'm asking God, okay, God, I need I, either you, you, either I'm going to stay on blood pressure medicine or you're going to take care of this. I took blood pressure medicine until that doctor took me off of that. I've had people before say, and, and, and yes, God healed me of blood pressure medicine. I don't, I, don't, or I don't have to take blood pressure medicine no more. I am, I, that's completely over with. I'm done with that. But what we've got, but a doctor took me off of that. Does, does that make sense? We can have faith in God. But we also must understand, we must, uh, must realize medications is there for a reason and a purpose, okay? If a doctor puts you on that, you need to hang on to that until a doctor takes you off. You're not a doctor. I also realize that we've got to have that childlike attitude, that childlike faith to believe that God's going to take care of you and I, amen? So let's go on and look at verse 6 through 9. Starting uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 6 through 9. Now, <clears throat> as we're reading this, I want you, this is something I want you to get in your mindsets. When this refers to little ones, I believe that it's referring to two groups of people. I believe that there's two groups that this is referring to. 
First of all, I believe that this is referring to our children, our students and our children. So people under the age of 18. I believe that 100%. I also believe that there's another group that this is referring to, the little ones. I believe that it is referring to new Christians. Okay, You can be in your 50s and, and never been a Christian and you're in your 50s and you just got saved. This is referring to that group of people as well. Why? You're going to find out in just a second. I'm going to explain all that, but let's read verses 6 through 9. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned into the sea. Y'all think that mankind today is mean. <laughs> Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes, whoever brings that temptation. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, I'm not telling anybody to cut their hand off, okay, but just read on to this. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Verse 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, don't anybody poke your eye out. If your eye causes you to sin, <coughs> tear it out, throw it away. It's better to you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell, into the hell of fire. Verse 6 is a transitional verse. Verse 6 starts off with the word, but. That connects the previous to this next flow of teaching. If you have a, this is an English, I really wish I'd have listened to English class a lot more than I did. My English teachers are laughing at me now, I'm sure. But if you have, see I just used the word but. What we've got to realize is if you have a statement, comma, B-U-T, the word but, this happens, however, this right here has got to follow along with it, okay? My English teachers wishes I would have listened, but I really didn't. Does that make sense? That is what was happening, but this is what took, is also a part of that. They wished I'd have listened more, but I also wished I had have too. Had have too. That definitely wasn't English, but you get my point on this. What we've got to realize is that applies even in the Bible. English does not stop just because it's the Bible. In verse 6, we find verses 1 through 5 happens, but verses 6 through 9 is going to take place as well. So to that end, Jesus warns anyone who causes a little one to fall into sin. This refers to anybody in a position of leadership, a position of authority, a position of power, or anyone as a Christian as a whole. So I'm saying this applies to pastors, teachers, Sunday school teachers, evangelists, parents, anyone. If you cause a little one, which is a child, like I referred to our students, our kids, our, our babies, or a new Christian to mentally and morally have corruption brought into their lives through the misinformation 
and causes them to lose their standing with God, Jesus said, it is better that they would have a large millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea because they of what they have done. Look back at verse 6. It tells us you can have a millstone fastened around your neck and drowned into the depths of the sea. We've got to realize we have influence over those new Christians. Think about this. Let's look at our church, for example. Let's look at Coosa Valley Church of God. If a new person comes into church and they have never stepped foot into this church and they see everybody else that's here and they are either new to the area or they're a new Christian or they're, they're definitely new to the church, any of those cases, they are looking at everybody else that's in there should be acting like a Christian. And if they find somebody in there, let's just say they see the... Sister Deborah's going to wring my neck. They find the piano player. Well, she's up there playing the piano, so she must have an influence. She must be a Christian. And they see her... They go to her and they talk to her and she royally not, you know, just as rude, mean, and ugly. She would never do that, okay? That's not who she is. And she's mean to them. That, that is an influence on people's lives. That reflects on them. I'm so happy to know that people have come to visit, my, visit this church. I've had friends of mine come. And people not even know that they're my friends until afterwards and we're talking and laughing and cutting up and we might go to lunch. And, and they'll tell me when we go to lunch. or they'll, I've had guest speakers come and be a part of our services and then we'll, I'll take them to lunch or something. We'll talk to, later on down the, down the road. And they'll say, your church is one of the most friendliest churches we've ever been in. And some of them have been in hundreds of churches and they'll come to Coosa Valley and they're like, that is a very friendly church. What we've got to realize is we've got to make sure that we are putting across Christian values and a Christian example to those that we meet. Why? Woe to those that causes a little, little one, this is new Christians, this is our kids, our students, our babes, to sin. Go into verse 7. There are two expressions of this woe. Woe is a term that communicates regret for sin. It, re it, it communicates compassion for the sinner, but it also communicates a promise of judgment. There's no delight in this punishment because it is certain that this punishment has been brought about, brought about because that person has caused someone else to sin. Because of the fallen state of the world we're living in, enticement to sin is going to occur. You see this all throughout the world. There's an enticement to sin. There's an, uh, I remember, I mean, I'm, I'm 44 years old, and I remember, I remember commercials way back that, um, and, and they've had to change these. They've had to change these commercials. Uh, the, the health department and the, uh, uh, these folks out of Washington that has nothing else better to do, they but regulate everything. But they had to make them regulate and change the way they did cigarette commercials. Some of you remember cigarette commercials from 25 and 30 years ago, how that they was a, they was a, 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 
swimsuit model sitting on a, cattle, uh, a Corvette uh, sitting on the beach and they was smoking and everything was great and wonderful. Why was they doing that? They was trying to entice people to go buy cigarettes, right? That's what the enticement was there for. And then what they've come to and they've realized is cigarettes are bad for your health. So what did they have to do? They had to change the regulations came through and changed the way commercials was. And I'm just using commercials as an example because everybody remembers those things. They're vivid in our mindsets. Well, guess what? The world we're living in entices and has peer pressure for things of this world. I've had people to come to me. Now, please, what I'm fixing to say, I'm using this as an example only, and I'm not talking about anybody that may have fall into the category of where I'm at. Okay, everybody works your salvation out with fear and trembling before God. I've had people to come to me and they'll say, Brother Andy, I want to get a tattoo. Is that okay? Is that, or is that a sin? What I've told them is, this is my response. First of all, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to tell you if it's a sin or not. That's between you and God. That's one of those I believe it's between them and God. But what I have told them is, you're having to ask the question. That means there is a question in your mind and to me, that's the Holy Spirit tugging at your heartstring about that. Because you don't just wake up one morning and say, well, I'm going to get a tattoo of a hummingbird on my, on my ankle or an eagle on my belly or back or whatever the case may be. You don't just do that. You've thought about that for a time span, or at least I hope somebody does. I'm not getting a tattoo, and it ain't got nothing to do with biblical. I don't like pain. I've heard it's painful. And so I, do, I use that as an example because people have come to me and they'll ask me, they'll say, is that wrong? Just like people have come to me and they'll say, is, cig is smoking cigarettes, is drinking alcohol, is these things wrong? And this is my response to them. First of all, you're having to ask the question, so that tells you something. But I'm also going to tell you that eating, eating Debbie cakes can be wrong, can be a sin. The reason I use Debbie cakes is everybody knows what? I love Debbie cakes. Hence, my cholesterol's high. <laughs> I love Debbie cakes. But there is a time that Debbie cakes, eating Debbie cakes is wrong. And so we've got to realize as there's those things, the Bible does not specifically say, thou shalt not get a tattoo. People will call, they'll go into the scriptures and they'll go into the book of Leviticus about markings and, and things and they'll bring that out and that's the route you want. That's all great and wonderful, but do research. So I had somebody come to me that had one, and they said, well, do I need to get it removed? And I said, no. Why would you want to do that? That's way expensive, and it hurts. What we've got to realize and understand is things in our lives have made us to where we are, and we need to use all of those experiences to help somebody to Christ, to help somebody to Christ. I've never tried to influence people's lives other than the Bible's specific about things such as murder, such as lying, such as stealing, such as adultery. Those are things that's specific in the Word of God. But there's other things that we have to work out, salvation with fear and trembling. I use a, uh, This is another example that I use, short pants. I don't, I don't even own a pair. I don't own a pair. People will say, well, is that a religious thing? No. My legs are really, really white, and they will blind you. So I don't wear, I just don't wear short pants. That's just me. 
We was talking earlier. I don't like it cold, so I don't wear short pants. I wear long pants. So is that, does that mean that anybody that wears short pants is, is, is a sinner? No. That is me. That is something for me. And again, it ain't religious. That's just a personal preference. But if I was to stand up here and start preaching, this brings us back to this. I come up here and I start preaching, thou shalt not wear short pants. That would be wrong on my part. And we must understand, there have been religious folks, there have been church leaders that have done just that. They have done those things. And that goes back to verse 6. Hey, they have caused somebody to sin. Why? Because they've caused them to question their salvation and they have actually caused people to fall away from the church because they'll say, well, if the church is so restrictive like that, then I'm just going to do... We must understand, as a Christian, I can do whatever I want to do. But I choose to live Christ-like. That is the difference. I'm choosing to live Christ-like. I'm choosing to allow the light of Christ to shine through me through, to the world I'm in. We've got to influence away from temptation away from those failures, away from moral failures. We've got to influence away from that towards living a Christ life example. Jesus moved, and I'm, on t I'm just going to go ahead and stop right here and tell you, there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of preachers, there's a lot of pastors, there's a lot of evangelists that will disagree with everything I just said. I'm not here to tell you how you to live your life. I'm here to point you to the one that's going to help you live your life. Amen. That is a huge difference in what we've got to realize. Now, you come to me and ask me my personal preference, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my personal preference. But I'm also gonna we also got to understand, if we're going to tell something that is a spiritual thing, it's got to be backed up by Scripture. We've got to back things up by the Word of God. Does, it, does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Jesus moved <clears throat> from those who initiate sin to the examination of the things that look, of our lives to look for things that promote sin. This is verse 8 and 9. In his material, he included the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, a couple of Sunday school lessons ago, we talked about, for a couple of lessons, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. Removing the source of sin from our lives. Okay, let's take, let's take a look at that. Look at verse 8. Well, we've got to realize, verse 8 and 9 says, if, if your hand and your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Look, I don't want nobody cutting their hand off. Don't want nobody cutting their foot off. Verse 9 talks about plucking your eye out. Don't nobody do that. What this is referring to is simply this. If somebody has been convicted and they feel like that it is a sin to drink alcohol, okay, now, you, you want to ask my personal preference? I'll tell you, I don't, believe, I don't believe that as a Christian we need to drink alcohol. There's a lot of reasons, and I'll be glad to sit down and talk with you about why I believe that. I'm not going to condemn somebody if they do. I'm telling you, I believe that it's not the right thing to do. Does that make sense? Now, somebody has been convicted of that, and they do not drink alcohol. Guess what? Going to the, bar, the same bars that you used to attend and sitting there to eat chicken fingers is not, is not good for you. It's not the right thing to do. Why? You need to remove those things out of your life that is going to tempt you for, tempt for sin. 
if something is going to cause you to sin, cut that thing off and get it away from you. I've told people before, whenever they get saved, there's people, there are friends that are not going to want to be your friend anymore because you're not going to do the same things. You're not going to act like you used to act. Your attitudes, your actions, the, your vocabulary, everything about your life is going to be different. And people are not going to want to hang around you because you're not the fun guy you used to be. You cut that part out of your life. I'm not telling you that those people you no longer need to pray for, you no longer need to be a part, you no longer need to search out for and seek to lead them to Christ. I'm not telling you that, but what I am telling us is simply this. If something is going to cause you to sin, get rid of it. Don't have it there. We've talked about the little Debbie case. The, I'm going to go back to that because that's on me. That's one of my things. So I don't point at anybody else. We, do, we buy Debbie cakes at the house in moderations because I'm going to tell you, I could eat an old box of Debbie cakes that fast. I mean, I'm just... I'm just telling you, I love Debbie cakes. And I can just, I can down them. I can get, I can get rid of a box real quick like. If you've got a box of Debbie cakes that's going to be expiring tomorrow, bring them to me. I'll make sure that they're taken care of real good, okay? I can get rid of them quickly. They will not expire and they will not go to waste. I promise you. But what we've got to realize is in everything, the Bible teaches us, in everything, moderation. That's the problem that many face. That's the problem. Look, I'll be real with you. I'm a human being just like everybody else. That's the problem I have with sweets. I love them. That's why I don't go to the doctor to get cholesterol or anything checked during the holidays. Why? There's a lot of sweets at the house. And I don't believe in anything going to waste. I'm going to eat those. I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to enjoy, but I, there's a point that you've got to learn, to, you've got to stop. You ever been in a restaurant eating, and, and, and you're sitting there eating, and, and all of a sudden you're like, mm -mm, I can't eat no more, I'm on bust. You need, that's, that's, that's the time to stop. That's the time to push that plate back. I love it, because we're at the restaurants, and I'm sitting here saying, Brother Larry, I'm saying, mm, this sir was good, I got to quit eating. We've got to understand there is a time that we push that thing away. Why? Because if we continue, it can lead us into sin. People have, have told me before that I'm wrong in the fact that if somebody has sinned and they've, they come back and they've been restored, that I don't place them in an area. Look, look, look at this, for example. If somebody has stolen money, somebody has stolen money, and they, they rest, they've restored, they, they do restoration, they're restored, they come, they're back in the kingdom of God, they're saved, all these things, everything's good in the world. I'm not letting them be the usher or the, or the treasurer. How dare you hold their past against them? Are you kidding me? I'm not putting them back in temptation. They've stolen once. They can, Brother Andy, you're supposed to forgive and forget. We forgive. I'm not forgetting that. I'm learning from the past. Does all that make sense? Why? Because we've got to make sure to keep them from temptation. We don't want to talk about this, but I've told, I've told this church before, I want, I want sinners in church. 
I want I want the I want the I want the county drunk sitting on the pew. I want the I want the prostitutes. I want the child molesters. I want I want I want the uh, the alphabet, the LGBT. I want everybody in a sinner. I want them in church. We talk about those things, but I want the liars in church. Are you following what I'm saying? I I want all people in church. Why? Because they all we all need to hear about the plan of salvation. But if you have somebody that has a problem, that's had a problem in the past around kids, a child molester or, they, or something of that effect, guess what? I want them in church, but they're not going to the nursery. That's why we do background checks. I want them in church. They're not teaching children's church. They're not teaching a Sunday school. Brother Andy, how dare you hold that over their head? No, how dare I protect our kids? But you're also protecting that person by keeping... Verse 8, if something causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven with that thing removed from your life than it is to be thrown into eternal fire. I like how verse 9 tells it. Verse 9 tells this. The last line of verse 9 says, into hell of fire. We must understand. I... I would rather be, I would rather go into the kingdom of heaven. I'd rather go to heaven than to go to hell knowing that I ate one more Debbie cake. I've told people, I, I, I say this all the time if there's something going to keep me from heaven, I'll do away with it. I love bacon, but if bacon's going to cause me to go, go to hell, I ain't eating another bite of bacon. Last night, I ate about seven, eight pieces of bacon. I ate breakfast for. Breakfast for supper last night. But guess what? I ate pancakes and bacon last night. But if bacon was going to cause me to go to hell, I'd have a pile of bacon left on the plate and I ain't touching it. Anything that's going to cause us to sin, anything that's going to cause temptation, we need to throw that out of our lives. Amen? Let's go on. I could stay on this all day, but we need to go on. Let's move on to the second section. Corrective discipline in the church. Oh, topic nobody wants to talk about. Why is church membership important? Why is church membership important? Because church discipline is important. No, this is not somebody being a dictator. This is not a public route of discipline. This is not, the, we're not, if Stan's done something wrong, we're not bringing him up here on the stage and having him confess all of his woes, moes, and G.I. Joes to everybody. That's not the way it works. It's not supposed to be... And, and people will quote the Bible and say, if you'll confess your sins one to another, so they're supposed to confess that. No, that's not biblical. People will quote those verses and they take those completely out of context. But church discipline is important. Take a look at verse, uh, Matthew chapter 18. You can read verses 15 through 20. Let's start off in 15 through 17. This goes back to something I just said in the beginning of the Sunday school lesson. So look at verse 15. 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. And if he listens, you've gained a brother. Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge would be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Stay on this verse for just a second. You don't go and get the town gossip 
that's going to tell all your business. That's not one of your two or three. You're going to go get somebody that is a prayerful person. That's why on our, on our leadership team here at the church, on, on, on my leadership team, we have seven guys. There's seven people on our leadership team. Our leadership team consists of me as the chairman and seven others. Using my example a while ago with Brother Larry, if I have, as the pastor of this church, I'm using this example, this applies to anybody. If I have wronged Brother Larry, as the pastor of this church, I have wrong, wronged Brother Larry. If that's the, I've not done nothing. If that's the case, what Brother Larry is supposed to do, according to verse 15, what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to come talk to me privately, me and him alone. If I do not listen to him, if I tell him, you're crazy, you lost your mind, I didn't do that, we, and, and it goes nowhere, what is he supposed to do? Verse 16, go and take one to two others so that every charge be established in the evidence of two or three witnesses. He needs to go find somebody, not that's on his side, but that has witnessed the, what he's talking about and is a prayerful person that's going to do that's going to follow a biblical principle verse 17 if they still neglect to hear from you then go tell it to the church but if he neglects to hear it from the church let him be as you to you as a gentile <laughs> and a tax collector in other words yeah that ain't let them be far away from you this is one of those conversations, this is one of those topics that nobody really wants to talk about because they think that this is not supposed to happen. In many congregations, many are too Christian-y. What this means is they follow the line of grace and mercy and they somebody's wronged them, they said, oh, they don't, they, it's okay, they didn't mean to, just... We just leave it alone. We just go on. That doesn't help the matter either. If I've wronged Brother Larry, and Brother Larry, all Brother Larry does is, well, he didn't mean it. It's just go on. Guess what? Eventually, what's that going to do in him? That's going to build up resentment in his life, and eventually it's going to be to the point where I don't even want to go back to church no more, period, because all churches are the same way. I could ask right now, how many people have been hurt by people in the church? Every one of us could raise our hands. But what we've got to realize is there, a, there is a biblical pattern to follow in that. And church reconciliation and discipline is forgotten among many Christians. Many times we deliberately ignore church discipline. Jesus was very specific about how disagreements should be handled in this situation. First of all, it deals with members of the church, verse 15. Both male and female, this word brother applies to both. Many times people will look at these verses and they, they, they look at this and they say, well, it says brother, so it must eliminate females. No, this is not the case. This applies to both. There are serious issues. There are differences of opinions. There are feelings that can be slighted. 
There are minor grievances where grace, forgiveness, and an attitude of leaving those things in the past should flow abundantly. Once somebody, if somebody hurt your feelings, it was nothing major. They just said something that hurt your. They didn't like your dress that you was wearing that day. If you won't want me, if you do not look, don't ask me if I like your clothes. I barely know if I like my clothes or not. I, I mean, I'm not. I, that's that's just not up my alley. I don't. I don't. You know, my wife and daughter says I'm colorblind anyway. So I don't know if it looks good or if it don't look good. It's it, it's all good to me. I don't care. Looks beautiful. What we've got to realize and understand: somebody can hurt your feelings, and there's, there's times that it's just best to forgive and move on. But there are like, okay, let's just use this for example. If, if, if Sister Deborah felt like that the piano needs to be a little bit further forward and I felt like it needed to be further back, that's a minor disagreement. What does that have in, 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 in the grand schemes of the kingdom of God? Nothing. But many times, now Sister Deborah likes the keyboard right where it's at, so just, just clear that up. Many times, something that silly, how many think that's silly? Whether the keyboard's forward, Move forward this much or move back that much? How many thinks that's a silly thing to argue about? Every one of us. But many times that's what happens over minor things and it is, you look back at it six months later and you think, well, that show was silly for me to get upset about. We must realize that. But there are also serious offenses that literally needs to be dealt with. They are violations of God's will and God's word. And if it's an offending sin that's been committed or a major offense concerning that offense, it needs to be dealt with. The Bible has a specific plan laid out for that, that church discipline. If a brother or sister does not hear in that church discipline and in the, what Jesus has laid out, and the severity, depending on the severity of the matter, then they are to share the matter with one or two other mature, objective believers. And if they agree with that issue, then they are to go together with the offending party and discuss the matter. There are people that have left this church because I did them wrong, but that's as far as I know. And the only reason I knew that is because they told somebody else that told somebody else that told somebody else that told somebody else that told me that they got mad because Brother Chuck left the church because, and what he did is he told Brother Larry, which in turn told uh, uh, Randy, which in turn told Brother Art, Brother Art come and told me, said Chuck left the church because you offended him. Well, what did I do? I have no idea. That wasn't told. I've literally been told things like that. People got mad at me over something and they've left the church. And that's as far as I know what's wrong because they did, listen, they were not biblical of what the Bible lays out. Some have come to me and said, well, it's your responsibility to go to them. How do I know I've offended them? I ain't got a clue. Because I can promise you, if I've ever said something or done something to offend anybody, let me be on public record right now. I am sorry. I had no idea. I am not purposely trying to offend anybody. I do not set out to do that. So if something has been said, something has been done that's offend somebody, let me be on record right now. I am so sorry. If you'll come to me, I'll be glad to apologize privately. 
or openly because I do not intend to do that. I don't seek to do that. The Bible is clear about how to resolve this matter. If it does not resolve, even after the telling, even two or three going back, then what? In a private session of the congregation, not in open for everybody to hear, in a private session of the congregation, the matter needs to be laid out for the body to make the decision. That's in verse 17. This is establishing biblical justice. Right the wrong with love to bring reconciliation to all involved. I'm going to close this telling you this. I had somebody that actually did come to me and tell me uh, that, that I was purposely trying to offend them because I didn't want people to come to this church. I said... Let's think about that for a moment. How much sense does that make? I want people to come here. Why? Because I want people to be, I want people to be saved. I want people to get closer to God. I want people to live right for God. But then let's look at this in another sense. Let's look at this in a humanity sense. If people stop going to church here, guess what? I no longer get a paycheck. <laughs> they busted out laughing. They said, I never thought of it that way. What we've got to realize and understand, people genuinely don't want to offend other people. But we all have different personalities. We all have different traits. We all have different ways of doing things. What we've got to do is we've got to learn. We are a community of believers. Let's worship God together. Amen? Live feed. Thank you so much for joining with us.